Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. Winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire, coach, and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three-step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice-weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three-step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Today, we continue the conversation with a nurse who took on the health of the planet. Joining Doctors Without Borders, now known as Médecine Sans Frontières, MSF, in 2003, she went from nurse to medical team leader to medical coordinator in the Congo, Burundi, Chad, Somalia, Haiti, and Ethiopia, to the now medical innovation advisor in Sweden. Whether it's responding to outbreaks, implementing sexual and gender-based programming, researching neglected diseases, or large-scale refugee responses. Lindsay Bryson has been on the ground floor for more than 25 years, creating systems for better health worldwide. I would say she's a citizen of the world, having met her German husband in the field of MSF and now living in Scandinavia with her two kids after so many years in Africa. But her roots are Canadian, where we spent our high school years together in Montreal. We have to make sure nobody forgets that one, Lindsay. So... My friend, I know you don't think you have a lot to share with people as you've been in the trenches for years and years. And it seems a bit strange to think that your life story might inspire another, but it can and it does. So I so appreciate your sharing your journey with us. So thank you, thank you, thank you for taking no, a Saturday with us. You. Nice introduction and, and thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, I was, um, I'm here in Switzerland with some friends from Canada. And I said, oh, I'm interviewing a friend from high school. And look at all the things she's done <laughs> since high school. And she's, you know what she said to me? How old is this woman? I said, <laughs> my age. And she's done all that. So um, it does have an impact, really. Um, so I'm so appreciative. And I do want to start potentially selfishly because I'm so curious. So when we were in high school together, did you ever envision that you would travel the world and make an impact on global health? I, I think it would have been really hard for me in high school to even like visualize what that would be. Right. Cause I think we, 
you know, I traveled a little bit because most of my family was in the UK. So I, I mean, I did travel a little bit as a kid. So I, I had a bit of that idea, but what it would really mean and what it could really look like, I, I, I don't think I had the idea. What I knew I wanted, even at that point was I, I wanted to go into to medicine of some form. Like at one point I, I did think medical school, but that wasn't in the cards. And I thought maybe physiotherapy and I thought it too. But then when kind of, I, I would say I stumbled into nursing. And I think that was when I realized for one, the, the caring aspect of it and the healing aspect, but then also what it could bring to me kind of personally as well was that beyond my, my vision and beyond my current realities and that it could bring me to different places to see new things. Okay. I, I'm, it's cool to hear your perspectives because, you know, as a friend looking outward, I remember thinking, I didn't know she wanted to go into nursing. I remember you doing that in college and I remember being surprised, which has me think a little bit about what the heck do we talk about when we're in school? But I know we <laughs> talked a lot about volleyball because we, we did that together. But yeah, um, so you, you did some traveling, but what led to your first African post? Like, was there, and was there any yeah, cultural so I, friction I was, there? Yeah, I was in my second year of nursing school. So, oh my gosh, how long ago? It was, <laughs> it was like a long time ago. That was probably like 1997. I suppose. Oh my goodness. Um, yes, yeah, so second year of nursing school. It happened that a, a local Canadian NGO had put up um, an announcement. You know that I guess they were putting through a lot of different um, nursing schools looking for nurses to go with their NGO for three months uh, to a village in Benin uh, to work in uh, kind of just work in the village and, and work at their little primary healthcare clinic. Uh, and so I applied and I. I yeah, at the time it was like, yeah, that was really when the seed started to like, okay, what can I do now with nursing beyond just working in a hospital in, in Montreal? And I was accepted, which was kind of mind blowing for me. And then I guess from the time I was accepted, we, we did a few things and then off I went. And I mean, if we can remember all the way back to 1997, I mean, we definitely didn't have smartphones right we definitely didn't have like forms of communication so I mean I left and that was it for three months I wasn't in touch with anybody <laughs> like I think we wrote letters or like it and we you know went off to this little village and and it was just the most amazing experience and and I would say medically no probably not I don't think we had much of an impact uh, we certainly weren't experienced enough we certainly didn't um I'm not sure how much we brought to it, but I got so much out of it um, in, in terms of, of feeling what could be. Like if once I was properly qualified, once I was able to actually give a voice and, and give something back, I, I felt like this was, wow, this is, this is what I want to do. And that's then when came back at the end of that summer and, and completed my last year of, of nursing training. So I have two things that I want to know. So what made you apply to that? What, what was it about it that made you think I'm going for that? So it was, it, it was going to, to Africa. That was something which completely non-healthcare related had always been a dream of mine. Like that was, you know, we, we played volleyball together, but I'd always been a runner. And for me, like, the East Africans, the, the Kenyans, the, the Ethiopians, I was like, oh, just always in such awe of these guys. And that was actually where my first kind of, I really want to go there. I really want to see it. But that had like nothing at all to do with, with healthcare, certainly nothing to do with, with global healthcare. And so when, when I kind of started to, to see the opportunity to have both of these kind of passions come together, I thought, oh, this is really, 
this could be interesting. So that, that was, that was actually the main motivation. I, again, had no, I had no visual of what this was going to look like, what it was going to be like to land in this, in this foreign city and, and to be surrounded by all these motorcycles and smells and people and, um, and then get up to this village that indeed with no phone connection, no electricity, nothing, and just like hang out with a family for, for three months. It was, it was really fat. It was amazing. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. I love that because I think sometimes people expect there to be like, um, fireworks going off or, and it's not, it's like little moments. Like to me, it sounds like passion kind of pulls you towards Mm. seemingly innocuous moments. So when you say that Africa gave you so much, you know, that experience in that village, can you put your finger on what it was? What is it about what happened to you there that made you want to do more? I mean, I think, you know, if, if I look, if I compare that experience to what I then experienced later on in my career, I mean, I, I think it was more about, um, Benin is a fairly well-developed country and it has fairly good health care systems and, you know, fairly stable government and it was relatively secure. So I think in all those ways, I didn't feel like I was going to change the world by being present there. That That's never been, ever been a goal of mine. I think it was always about the individual people that I met along the way. And that if you could even just advise, you know, a, a pregnant woman whose ankles are super swelled up, like, mm, you know what, you should probably get to the clinic now. That if you could just have that small little impact on one individual life um, in places where they don't always have access to great health care. To me, that was that was the, the, the seedling that really started. It wasn't like the, the, a bigger thing than that. It was really about connecting with individuals um yeah who also had the you know there was the novelty as well it was like what am i doing in this clinic this seems you know working with these these nurses who who are from the local community and and hearing their stories and understanding where they had come from and the things that they had to do to get to that point so for me it was a lot more about individual connections Hmm. got it yeah so it's about people and Hmm. yeah got it that's that's good to say actually because there's sometimes you know from the outside now knowing you've lived in Africa for so long Mm -hmm. um, you know we can make these um, stories about what it was but no it was each person and these are different countries as well lumping yeah exactly and and every place has been been very very different you know I have had a lot of people say what was your favorite place or what was the best place and it's it's an impossible question to to answer because every place is different and every place has its has its good and its bad right so I think there's yeah, for me, it's always been just about the people that you meet and then, the, yeah, and how you're able to work together to achieve something. So my mind, because I've never been to Africa, it's like I've traveled a lot. It's the only place I've ever wanted to go. Mm. I never actually even wanted to travel and look at now, but Africa, and it's the one place I've not been. So I don't know what's up with that. So I just... So I am going to state that my questions are being asked from a place of never having been there. But are there challenges raising kids in these countries or is that just my perception from the outside? I mean, I think if I, you know, I I definitely consider my career as a pre-family and post-family, right? Like I was doing things before 
Um, and I guess not because I met my husband, but I mean, before I met him um, and had the kids that were very, very different, right? I would probably say I would, I mean, I would be in more insecure countries and I would be in places that had a little bit more risk and I would be more um, in, in the field, like, you know, not just in the capital city, but really, you know, in, in the field and in really uh, remote locations. So I think once you have the kids and it, it's less about the marriage, I think it's more about the kids. I mean, that's not what I'm going to be doing anymore. And I think the timing for me was really good because I had done many, many years in very remote and very insecure areas. So it was also kind of in, in terms of my own career development, I was getting to a point where um, to do the next jobs that I wanted to do, I would be based in a capital. Uh, and so... <sighs> I mean, of course, this is not a blanket statement, but all most capitals, you'll have access to somewhat decent healthcare, and you'll have access to education, um, and that becomes kind of the priority of the the locations that I would select to work in. Right? I, I mean, I need my kids to be able to go to school, <laughs> and they I need yeah, to yeah. be somewhat comfortable that they're going to, you know, if they get sick, that they'll have uh, they'll have adequate healthcare, and you can have that. And I mean, again, I know I'm coming from a place of of, of of privilege in that, in these places, yes, you can get quality if you can pay for it, right? And, and that's what often local populations don't have access to, but I know for me and my family, I am able to provide that even in, in developing countries. Good call. So when you, you spoke just that little bit about your career and, and the things, choices of jobs or work that you wanted to do, what kind of steered you towards the next project or the next job that interested you? Yeah, I mean, my very first assignment with, with MSF, I was in um, Congo, Brazzaville, and it was looking at a, a sleeping sickness. So sleeping sickness is a neglected tropical disease um, that affects a fair number of people and it's transmitted by um, a certain type of fly. And, and it's, it's really a pretty awful disease that, that gradually, I mean, it, it, it will kill you. I mean, there's no, no two ways around it. Um, and up until very, very recently, um, there had been no newly developed products to treat it. Um, the products that were in existence actually killed people because they were so incredibly toxic. Um, and so that, that was like a, a super fascinating for me. That was a massive learning curve. I mean, you can have all sorts of experience in, in a Canadian hospital, but then you go um, there and, and it's just so much to learn. And so I think after having done that type of project where we were doing active screening, so we were um, on a boat going up the, the Congo River, going to all these remote villages, doing active screening, trying to identify early cases. I was like, okay, well, I've done this sort of very uh, neglected tropical disease, done really high outreach. So kind of wanted the flip side of that, which I saw to be like a hospital. So how do you, how do you structure a hospital? How do you put that up in, in the field? Um, so that was then how I got to the next location. And, and then after that, um, I wanted uh, to work in nutrition. I thought, okay, I haven't done that. So it, it was a lot about where I wanted to gain more experience and where I thought that my background would be of use hmm. was how I kind of would shift along the way. So interesting. I love hearing these different opportunities, different things that like to think, oh, I'm going to learn how to set up a hospital. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> As you do. So I want to know if when you're in the field and you're dealing with a crisis or an emergent situation, like, do you have techniques or, or like a system of not being overwhelmed or, cause to me, the minute you say, let me set up a hospital, mm. I go to, Oh, 
that sounds complicated. <laughs> so what allows you to solve these kind of dilemmas? Yeah. So I think a lot of it, I mean, if I think back again to my very first experience, I mean, I hadn't, I think I had no clue. Right. And I think you, you learn a lot along the way. And um, for me, if I think from like my first experience as a nurse in the field to when I became um, kind of the more experienced medic in a team, I think there was also a lot of maturity there. Just like, okay, you know what? Stay calm because that's what you need to do. And you need to just, okay, what, what are the priorities? And there's, you know, a hundred different urgencies, but what, what's the priority within that and what's urgent and what's important and, and kind of, I, I become very systematic in that way and like, okay, this, I, I, this is really important, but if I don't do this one first, then we're not going to get anywhere. So it, it's a lot for me about priority setting. Um, it is also a lot I, I found about stepping back a little bit because I know one thing that I've certainly have been guilty of and I've seen a lot of people is we, we tend to think like if we don't do this immediately right now today, the whole thing's going to fall apart and it's going to be a disaster. And more often than not, it's that kind of urgency that leads to things falling apart, right? Because you're not taking the time to properly think through something. Um, and often you have to do that really fast. And often you're really having to take really quick decisions. And sometimes those decisions aren't the right ones, but I think it's better to take the decision and move forward than try to do everything absolutely perfectly and not actually get anywhere. So, but I think that kind of mindset was that took time for me to develop because I definitely at the beginning was like, I have to do this. And you work like 18 hour days, seven days a week, and you're just exhausted by the end of it, which I think you can do for a little while. Um, but as I realized that I was committing basically my life to this, I realized, okay, I'm not going to be productive. I'm not going to be useful. I'm not going to be helpful if I kill myself doing this, right? I need to also take a little bit of a step back to have a bit of a broader perspective and, and start prioritizing and looking at where, where we really need to put our efforts. Got it. So you could actually totally burn out in that situation in some ways, because you just, everything feels like an emergency and like to sit, you have to save people. So Exactly. And a lot, a lot, I think a lot of people do, I think, you know, it's a funny organization that we also do very, you know, well, short in, in the long run, short uh, field missions, you know, they're, they're between six and nine months. Um, and often for a lot of people, it's they, they do the, the one time, so they can really put like, mm. 142% into it, right? They can do everything and then, um, and then they go home and they rest for two months and then go back to, to, to regular life, which is also, you know, stressful in its own ways. So I think, that's okay for a period of time. But if you're going to go like, you know, I stayed in Ethiopia for almost four years, I was in Haiti for four years, you know, if you're going to stay longer within that context, you have to be able to, to take some steps back and you have to be able to prioritize a little bit better. And for sure, there's moments where you can't and there are moments where I've had to, yeah, even when I've been in, in longer term positions, I've really had to work very hard and very long hours. But that's usually for a fixed amount of time, you know, something's right. happening. So I'm focused on this right now and I'm going to have to give my everything. But then it's not like that over the, the four years. Got it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So when I think of some of you've mentioned some of these projects and programs you've implemented over the years, what would you say you're most passionate about these days? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, right now my, my position's changed quite a bit, right? So we had decided after many, many years in the field to, to move 
out of the field. I would go <laughs> home, right? Because neither one of us are now living at home. We're living in, a, in another place. So we're still kind of expats, but in a obviously much more stable <laughs> place. But yeah, my, my current position is looking at how can we as, as an organization do things um, in better ways and better, maybe that's not the right way, but in, in sometimes easier ways, sometimes in more streamlined ways, how can we use existing tools to improve our practice? Um, how can we look at, at better community engagement and how we can talk to people um, in a more productive way? So that's, that's kind of what I'm looking at now is, is really how could we potentially improve work? Oops, did I just close you down? No. Oh, sorry. Okay. You got to go black for a minute. Uh, yeah. How can we look at, um, at the care that we give in a, in a different way? So you're a field girl, you know, you said yeah. it's about the people and this sounds yeah. a lot more structured, systematic, like working on a computer. Are you yeah. dealing with this? <laughs> Are you yeah, handling I'm it? it. <laughs> I, I mean, I am. I, I think we also, we took, you know, the decision to, to leave. Yeah. For, for, pretty strong reasons. I mean, we, we were feeling tired, you know, being away and, and having to work really hard and the kids were getting a bit older and we just thought, I mean, they, they, they really loved Ethiopia. And even now a year later, they still ask, when are we going home? And they're referring to Ethiopia's home. Um, So they still miss it, but they also really like being able to take their bikes down to the playground down the street. And they like being able to go uh, to the local swimming pool and they love taking the tram. The tram is like, they they find the tram to be the most exciting thing in the world. And they love taking the tram to school. I think it's just all these things that are part of what our our reality is, and I think it's also important for them to have that experience and to see what um, what life is like in in a place at least similar to where where their families are from. Yeah, it's funny when you said that about home. You're like, well, we're not exactly home. <laughs> Scandinavia isn't home to either one of you, but yet, ah, it, yeah. I, I I have so many questions about that kind of stuff because you know. Yeah having lived abroad for a little bit here too, it's interesting what, how kids interpret home. Yeah, exactly. And I think what we, what we really strive for is that it home isn't about the place necessarily. Right. I mean, obviously I want them to feel safe and secure and I want them to sure. have four walls and a roof and all that, but it's about, again, the people that you're with that, that we're, well, we're there as the constant presence for them, but that we also surround them with, with, people who can help them grow as, as humans and can help um, them understand and explore the areas that they're that they're in and which I think was also a lot easier when we were abroad I think in both Haiti and in Ethiopia people are very open and very um, you know that sense of community is maybe a lot stronger than mm. than it is here um, so I think that's actually quite an interesting part as well is that they, they do miss, they miss kind of all the people that were just around us all the time in the places that we've been in. And then that's, that's a funny thing that I hadn't thought about before. I actually was going to ask you, what do you think when they say I miss Ethiopia, what they miss is the people around them also a yeah. community. Yeah. They miss their friends. They miss, uh, yeah. All the people that they had in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, it's interesting community and how in different cultures I've been really fascinated to wonder why some cultures have more community than others where does it start because that's what I love about living in different places you don't you no longer take for granted 
how it is for you, you kind of go, wow, that's, that's something that is invested in or learned, mm-hmm. you know, even we were talking about this last night, but going to Asia showed me that a lineup is not a given. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I got that. I, I actually thought that everybody knew about lineups. I'm like, yeah, you know, that is a thing that our culture taught, you know, that's not just yeah. a given. So, um, that's what I love. I think, I hope that we're giving this to our kids, you know, a sense of perspective and that everywhere is different. Yeah, exactly. That things at least are different everywhere and you don't always have to like it, but you you should at very minimum notice it Mm -hmm. um, and try as best as you can to adapt to it. Because indeed, if you're in someone else's house, you don't follow your rules, you should follow their rules. Unless, okay, I don't want them to put themselves in danger or something crazy happens. But I mean, if they're, if they're in, a, in a home and there's an expectation to, I don't know, very basic example, take off their shoes, then you, you take off your shoes, right? And, and you, you, to be able to observe enough to take the cues that someone doesn't always have to tell you what to do, that you can notice what is happening around you. And of course, there's still moments you need to be told what to do. It's, it's still new and different. But I think that's, for me, really important that they at least, that they get that and they, they can observe their environments and they can see how things are different um, in different places. That's cool cultural sensitivity early on which so if somebody wanted to make a contribution or an impact in Africa for example um you know where would you start but think if you can it might not be your example meaning don't don't think so much about a young person in college but even if you're in your 30s you know and and you want to change it up or maybe you want to bring your kids somewhere so do you have any ideas for people or suggestions it's a really tough one because my my circle in some ways is very small and, and MSF isn't really the place to to start experimenting in those kind of ways um, because we are we tend to be very emergency focused and, and in very kind of insecure places that most people aren't going to go with their 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 families. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess looking on on the development side, but really looking at how you know you can impact on again on individuals and on and on communities and in a I don't know, there's so much conversation about volunteerism and, and all mm. these things. And it's, I, I really struggle with it because on the one hand, I do think that people have really good hearts and they really want to do good. But I see that there's also a lot of yeah, really negative programs out there that are kind of taking advantage of local communities or that they're taking advantage of the people who are wanting to come to take uh, to support yeah. a local community. So I think it's a, it's a really difficult thing. Um, I mean, I guess doing also just your research on different organizations and even just donating, I mean, more and more organizations, um, uh, you know, they take private donations. And I think that's really important because then the money becomes, yeah, let's say not earmarked, right? You don't have to, you usually have big donors, you're often kind of steered in the direction that they feel that you should be doing work. Whereas if organizations get more individual level donations, then they can, they have a bit more independence to take their own decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, yeah, I think really doing your research into organizations that you would want to, um, to donate to, um, I think is, is the most important, uh, really understanding and, and, yeah, taking a very informed decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, noise at the moment around people that had the heart of service, but actually now don't know how to actually engage that in a way that's going to 
make a difference and not yeah. be a nuisance. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So do your research. Yeah, and it is really difficult. And, and I mean, I wouldn't necessarily want to start recommending one or another, but um, I've definitely seen, I mean, even to a certain extent, you know, if I think back to my first experience, like I said, I got a lot out of it. I'm not really sure how much I contributed to that community. And was that, you know, I don't think I did any harm. I definitely don't think I did any harm, but yeah, it, would that now fit within where I think, oh yeah, that's maybe not how we should be doing it. You know, where going into a, a village and, and, and trying to support, um, you know, all these stories of, you know, you, you go in to build a school and then the next week the school's torn down and the next group come in to build that school. And, and I mean, I think there's maybe some exaggerations to some of the stories, but I think some of them are really true mm -hmm. and it's really, it is happening. And, and at the end of the day, it's not the communities who are getting much out of it. And that I think is the yeah. sad part. Yeah, that's a good, Good example. And one thing you said earlier that maybe people could take from, I love when you said about decisions, you're like, instead of trying to make the perfect decision, it's like, take one that moves you forward. And it sounds like your life is an example of that. Each, mm. like your moment in Africa taught you about what you got, maybe not what you contributed. Then it's like, it kept you moving to yeah. the next project. And, and so perhaps instead of trying to find the perfect place, it's just start somewhere. Like it's decision. about starting and then yeah. and then following it up and admitting if you made a mistake and then correcting it and then trying to do better the next time right and i think that that is a good point it, it's about just it's moving forward it's it's not about yeah there's no perfect anything out there there's what we make of it and we make it to be as good as we can make it with the information we have in that particular moment and then when right. we know when we know more and we adapt and we can change it. And then I think we can always grow in that way. Cool. So has it all been worth it? Like you don't live the life of the masses for sure. You or your <laughs> hubby. Um, so are you happy with the life you've led so far and the choices that you've made? Yes. I mean, there's absolutely been moments where I was like, what in the world have I done? <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> How, how in the world did this happen? But on the other, the flip side of it is, I think some of the experiences that I've had have just been truly like amazing. And a lot of the times when I've said, how in the world did I get here? It's because I'm like, how in the world did I get here? How is it that I am standing in the middle of this massive refugee camp responsible for the care of you know 250,000 people and I, I mean me I don't say me I'm not responsible <laughs> directly but I mean as our programs sure. uh, and ha like how did how did this happen <laughs> like what am I doing here mm -hmm. and it's just you'll you know I, I remember we had the, we had this one program in the camp and and I was doing a visit and spent the night there and just woke up and it was not at all quiet because there was chickens and people and there was all this life happening already super early in the morning and it was, the sun was rising and it was just this beautiful scenery, but kind of set in a really miserable place. You know, people don't become refugees because they want to be refugees, right? They're fleeing something awful and, and then they end up as a refugee in another country. And generally, most countries are really trying really hard to take care of them. But, you know, it's also really, really difficult if you're going to another developing country. They don't have all these resources. So it was like this beautiful scene in this horrible situation. And I thought, I just hope that today that our, again, our programs will impact on someone, that we will be helping someone to live a healthier life, a life with slightly more dignity. Um, 
So no, I don't regret my choices. I don't regret where I've been. And I absolutely think that some of those hard moments where I have the, yeah, 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 I need a holiday. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> have, all been, have all been more than worth it. Awesome. Well, I, I can't thank you enough. It's been this amazing snapshot mm. into a life well lived. And, mm. you know, people are listening to you. They can't see, but she looks exactly the same. We've just been to a high school reunion together. And I was like, <laughs> My mom said the same thing. She's like, how does Lindsay look exactly the same? So <laughs> she may look the same, but she's got years of experience now in her body and knowing that you're a mom and just mm. all the different things that you've exposed your kids to is really cool. So thank you for sharing that. I've, yeah. I've loved this little process Good. and um, I, I know our community will too. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I hope, uh, yeah, I hope it's of interest to people. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to... Put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.